Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast. This is part two. So if you missed out on part one of this podcast, check out last week's podcast. Uh, We talk about a range of topics, really. We start talking about emotional association. Talked about the Oscars facade. We did some banter. We did everything. And if you enjoyed the previous podcast, you're definitely going to enjoy part two. But before we get into it, our sponsors, Crush Organics, crushorganics.com. They have a huge range of CBD oil products. CBD oil, it's all the rage. Everyone's using it. Get yourself some CBD oil. Go to crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. Use the code NEIL. You get 40% off if you use the code NEIL. So why wouldn't you? Get some CBD oil for your pets. Get some bath bombs. Get some gummies. Perfect gift as well. Crushorganics.com. Jordan has shows all across the country. Friendlyjordies.com. I've got shows, regular shows in Sydney, Western Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle, Brisbane, coming soon as well. NeilDan.com. And by the way, you may have noticed there's a new sting for this podcast. Uh, If you want to check out the amazing artist that came up with that one, Clockwork Odyssey. It's a great name, Clockwork Odyssey. So, uh, in fact, if you're a fan of my short films, Tim, who's the director on a lot of them, is one half of Clockwork Odyssey. So we'll put their links in the descriptions. If not, Clockwork Odyssey on, on Instagram. Check them out. All right, enjoy part two of the podcast. The more I've been thinking about a lot of the ideas I have, the proclivities I have, and the biases I have, I really think the sort of the the emotion is the the primary factor in determining what I believe to be my rational conclusions about said thing. So when it comes to something like I've been I've been I've been trying to sort of consider why I have a, a particular hatred and disdain for I guess what you could call woke culture or progressivism or whatever you want to call it and I think it's because during such a formative period in my life when I was just moving into the arts world that ethos was so stifling and so pernicious and I I felt like it was so hypocritical and two-faced in the in the way that it championed the rights of the minority yet every piece of content I made that I can attest would appeal to minorities was shut down as potentially racist or problematic or whatever it may have been. And I think I just developed an innate emotional reaction to anything associated with that worldview and even words that would relate to those ideas and those concepts. I'd hear a word and I, and I can't help but think my visceral reaction would immediately be whatever it, the, the specifics of it who knows what it could be a spike in cortisol or what whatever but it would be negative and as a result the judgment i would make would be based on that preconceived emotion i already have and then i think i mean this is just really i'm not really saying anything profound here just basic psychology really like if you're talking about a sort of an emotional trigger that's so ingrained into someone that they can't think rationally about a given topic. I mean, I, I I would put the question to you: even just the word "liberal" or the word the, the 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 name Scott Morrison. I'm sure because you've done so much research and you and you and you and you have very strong ideas already, and and you and you've thought about this so deeply that 
it immediately triggers a negative response that you may not be consciously aware of, but somewhere that response is occurring. I suppose it's akin to a very extreme example of this would be something like trauma, right? Post-traumatic stress where there'd be certain triggers. And I know those sorts of words now have been bastardized to the point where they're just laughable. But I suppose what I'm getting at is how certain judgments that the purveyor thinks are rational may actually just be extraordinarily emotional due to a cumulative history of certain emotions being associated with said area of culture or area of life or area of politics. But surely that's every word. Yeah. Well, it's it not, is, it like is some every words word, would have but more some emotional intensity. Okay. Some like, stronger than others. Let me, let me just run through a couple for you for a second. Money. What's the emotion? Well, it's hard to sort of just immediately grasp what may have gone through my head with a, just that singular word. But I think I felt a pang of... Exasperation almost because money so, is such oh, a deal with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. Think that might be it. Yeah, and yeah. so so I related it to something like relationships in that you know you look at something like uh, an absence of sexual intimacy in a relationship, and it's because in a lot of heterosexual relationships, men only engage in physical contact when they want to initiate sexual intimacy and in the early stages of a relationship that's very effective both parties are extremely horny and all over each other but as the relationship goes on uh there there may be times where the woman engages in this in 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 sexual intimacy when she may not be in the appropriate mood to actually do that and as a result resentment slowly builds up and it gets to the point where you're seven years in and there are other variables like children and, and, and work and other stresses where a man will even just put his arms onto his girlfriend or wife and she'll just have that knee-jerk reaction of, no, not now, not horny right now, not mm, now. Mm, mm, mm. And obviously the way to sort of ameliorate that is to just engage in non-sexual physical intimacy. But what's happened there is she's associated the touching with expectation with oh, I have to do this again in same mm. way if I just heard money and I think oh I've got to think of that so then I was thinking about what we were talking about a couple of weeks or months ago now where the worst or I, I, the people with the least nuanced understanding of a particular ideology or a way of thinking even a way of life a culture are often often engender a stereotype that is used and weaponized against the ideology itself. So the perfect example is, say, 18-year-old art students who call themselves communists. We all hate them. But then as a result, everyone develops this inherent disdain for just the word communism. And mm. I think as I'm getting older now, I'm actually flipping a little bit. I, every time I... I interact with people in the corporate sector and have to try and unpack what exactly they do and and, and deal with the, the language they use. And it's actually making me now uh, closed off to that sort of worldview. And, and I know I, I've, I've expressed my frustrations about these so-called internet entrepreneurs who just 
buy things from Alibaba and sell them on Amazon or now. I think I, I can see this new phenomenon. There's, a, there's this particular person on my feed who would classify themselves as a, what you could call an investment expert and they're constantly giving investment tips and financial tips and saving tips. And this is just basic, basic financial literacy that parents should have instilled into people. So how to save money, don't eat out, don't spend too much money when you go out, give yourself a budget. Uh, invest. What's the big one? Diversify your portfolio, which is just logical. It just mm. means don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put mm. all your investment into real estate. Mm. Spread it out. And then these people mm. are supposedly experts. Mm. But what they've done is they've they've manifested. They've they've created this sort of self fulfilling prophecy by constantly talking about how they're an expert and constantly talking about these sort of financial this financial advice. Then they've built up enough of a brand where in, 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 a significant amount of people have engaged with them that it's actually brought that expertise to fruition and then through social proof of all the followers and all the people that are looking up to this person, then they actually do become that expert. And so it's there's sort of self-help concepts there, you know, manifesting a certain reality and whatever it may be, but it also gives me a lot of... It, it discourages me from a lot. Of, it, it just makes me think, well, how many celebrities or so-called experts or anyone in a particular field has just not lied but essentially just been forthright and confident enough in what they say on a given topic that a, a, a uh, critical mass of people have accepted them as a as a, a veteran or an expert or whatever it may be. And anyway, that's a separate thing. But, like, the point is how much do our emotions actually dictate how we feel and think about a certain... Even you take into account the elections coming up here, the word labour. How many people now, and, and as I'm sure you will articulate very well, that's by design from a, from a, a press that's in bed with a higher income earners of this country, but you hear the word labour, a lot of people are going to think, oh, fucking labour greens. Yep. Right? So they're not thinking rationally about things. They've just... They, well, they, there's they, a very it, deliberate tactic to tie labour and greens together. If you look in the Murdoch press, they're constantly saying labour greens, labour greens, and yeah. the same thing with the Liberal Party, constantly tying it because the greens... 90% of the population fucking despises the greens. Yeah, and there's, there are enough maybe salient <laughs> examples of... People from the Greens or Labor who have acted in a, in a in a crazy manner, and they just amplify that to continually compel people to think a certain way about yeah. that. And then, yeah. you know, I'm sure that's done as well. From if you go to like, I did a, a gig for a union a couple of years ago. Now I can't remember which one it was, but I just said the word liberal, and like the booze. I've never heard booze so ferocious in my life mm, <laughs> i just mm, i just mm, said mm, the word I, I was setting up a joke mm. uh mm. and you know it just makes you think if you're trying to convince someone i know i've said this on so many podcasts and i continually think about this a lot but what you're better off doing is not actually trying to convince someone about a certain way of thinking or the conclusions that you may have come to internally don't just extrapolate that and think that other person may come to those conclusions organically as well. Essentially, the best strategy is to just associate whatever you want that person to either learn or accept with a positive emotion. 
Mm. Like the best, take something like veganism, for example. If you're constantly shaming, the, 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 the primary emotion people feel when you just hear the word vegan or when you're just a, a talking to someone who is a vegan is either shame or sanctimony. Mm. So the immediate reaction before even someone opens their mouth, they just say, oh, do you have any vegan options? Oh, they roll their eyes and that's how they respond, right? Mm. And then what often happens is people will think, well, if I can just sort of rationally articulate why if sentient beings can experience suffering and we don't need to consume them, what's the point of eating them? That's a very sort of rational argument there but that's never that's not going to work that's not going to be effective the best the best thing you can do is probably just i don't know just subtly slip in vegan to have a very engaging conversation with someone and an entertaining conversation with someone and or whatever it may be that like a, a piece of art or, or a comedy or whatever and just 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 very subtly off the cuff, slip in the fact that, yeah, yeah, I'm also a vegan or something like that. And then even make fun of yourself. And then that's immediately like alleviating the idea that, oh, they're going to lecture me. They're going to tell me all this garbage. You, well, know, you definitely want, you don't want exasperation linked to it, but you can have a negative association to meat, which is something that they do do, do a lot. Too, yeah. Actually, you, you know what? That. A lot of converts to it, you always just show something like a giant kill factory. <clears throat> but that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's just like human beings just either move towards things they want or move away from things they don't want. Yeah, you what makes people what's feel more good? Like whatever. Well, well, okay. Some people are motivated by that. Other people are motivated by what makes them not feel good, and they move and away avoidance from that. Of that. Yeah, and sure, sure, sure. from that. Yes, yes. So think about uh, the cult, the 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 sixties, right? Where it was all free love, and and you know, it was a culture. There was the big cultural revolution, and. Ideals were changing about sexuality and, and women's liberation, second wave feminism, all these things. And that was, you have to see that in the context of the backdrop of the 1950s, which were a very sort of strict, regimented, ordered way of living. And so it would have made people feel extraordinarily liberated and, and free and fun and happy to have all this free sex and smoke marijuana and do all these things that were otherwise shamed and looked down upon and the feelings you would have had associated with that. It would have been incredible. So I can totally understand how that movement took off. But then you cut forward 50, 60 years there's now pressure on teenagers to engage in those things. If you haven't had sex, you're a loser, you're a virgin, you're an incel, you're a nerd. All these things that were otherwise considered taboo and, and naughty are now sources of shame for so many people. And, 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 and uh, you know, you look at relationships now. It's such too a much. It's also shame if you I have mean. too much sex. Or, so it's just anything is shame. True, but I'm like the zeitgeist but, of now is shame. Uh, yes, for everything. Like, what is it? That's true, but uh, that's more. I think this the, the sort of the popular narrative that seems to be. Well, you can get to the the, the two polarities of the culture war. There, someone's shaming you if you have too much sex, and someone's shaming you if you d not if you don't have sex, but if you're not whatever it is, sex positive, or or whatnot. But 
I can't help but feel the sort of the consequences of the, the liberalized sexual marketplace. I love using that term because it upsets so many people. But the consequences of that are one, a very unequal distribution of, uh, well, sex, but also just intimacy and relationships. And that's going to cause a lot of people to associate cultural liberalism with animosity, resentment, shame, the feeling of missing out, and then it, the uh, you know, conservative backlash is, is imminent. It's, in fact, understandable. Mm. Whereas, yeah, you go back to the 60s and it was, no, it was, it was actually a backlash to the conservatism and it felt so much, it, I, I assume... It would have because felt incredible if you grew up in a in a strict Catholic household <clears throat> and then suddenly you went to university and you, you were exposed to marijuana and it was so naughty. But then there was this all these um, interesting ideas associated with that and, and free love and it would have been so incredible. You would have feel like you would have been part of the vanguard of this nascent uh, cultural advancement. Whereas now, again, I, I mean, I... I I might just be speaking for myself here and there's still a lot of people who grow up with those kind of ideals, but it feels like it's the opposite. It feels like you experience those same feelings of shame and loneliness and animosity if you're not engaging in those things that would have previously been extremely taboo. Particularly, particularly for young, younger people, you know, if you're in high school and things. I mean, I think maybe you get to a certain age where even people who uh, would consider themselves culturally liberal would would cringe at someone who's smoking weed and having sex all the time with different partners. But but at the same time, I think that's in it's in a very formative stage of your life. And but man, what is considered fun these days that's a very good question i, I don't have think no idea is. because now people again i don't know if i'm in a sort of coddled reality on social media but there's there is this underlying feeling of excessive this is i wouldn't say degeneracy but we want something a bit a bit more a bit more transcendent we don't want to engage in this uh very futile and superficial dating environment where everyone ghosts each other and people are always on Instagram and looking for the next best thing. And so what are you con- continuously associating with all your experience dating in this, you know, liberalized dating market for, for, for the vast majority of single people? It's some form of pain, some form of negative emotion. Mm. Mm, 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 Something's mm. got to give. This can't go on forever because it's only it's 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 worsening. But, but wait, like what's okay. the point? What's that got to do with the? What's that got to do with like negative emotions though? Like I know it's got well, the, it's the emotion itself. It's not. Of- it's not anyone actually, uh, you know, uh, observing our behavioral codes rationally and ascertaining what the appropriate way forward is there'd just be a collective movement of resent resentful people and for good reason that will then direct the new cultural codes Mm. Mm. 
So, you know, okay, very manipulative marketing. Look at all these ads now and they're constantly using shots of people at Black Lives Matter protests or, you know, shots of like little girls playing football and it's this sort of subtle social, or not even subtle, it's this very explicit social message. And for a lot of people, they see that and they, they have a reaction of, oh, that's nice. They have a reaction of purity, of uh, fulfilment, of it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice feeling, but that's all the brand is trying to do. They're not even trying to tell you about their product. They're just trying to associate their brand with inclusivity, joy, passion, Virtue. They're trying to associate their brand with virtue, with today's conception of virtue. It is true, actually. I think that people are looking for in our day and age some form of nobility. Hmm. I think that that actually is a really rare commodity in the modern age. As you're kind of saying, someone who is truly virtuous, because I think, as you've said, it's been... The idea of virtue has been not only commodified but cheapened as a result. And I think that it's gotten to the point where you think, like, no one actually is. Well, we don't know what is virtuous anymore. Yeah, it's just a never-ending argument about everything. Because the the old codes of <clears throat> virtue have, have been... Yeah, eroded. Yeah, and we're unsure if... A, a reactionary step back is the appropriate course of action, but at the same time, I don't have any faith in the new in the new codes of virtue that haven't sort of aren't being explicitly written down or anything like that, but are definitely being implied in the way we should conduct ourselves and see the world. So it's a very uh, it's almost a, it is it's I wouldn't say it's nihilistic. It's not. Not void of purpose, but you're just unsure what the appropriate purpose to latch onto is. But then, the older I get, the more I lean towards the sort of aforementioned previous, you know, sort of moderate approach to the previous codes of virtue. Yeah, they stuck around for a reason. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, and and every time I've tried to live up to those over the course of a couple of years, you don't get any short-term benefit, but over the medium to long term, you do reap the rewards. Yep. So I'm leaning that way, but... But you're right, I don't like know it's kind of just become a breeding thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what the, the West will do. It is definitely an effective way of looking through life. Uh, you... Whoever elicits the most emotion is going to be the most successful. It even comes to the point where there's boxers the, the most successful. Yeah. How does he make you feel? Awesome. He's, he's articulating concepts that can be found in almost every work of self-help, but... It doesn't make you feel like you're watching a Michael Jackson concert. No. That's exactly it. Yes. And that is the same with 
all works. That is in every field. Hmm. And I suppose that's what people move towards, obviously. Like, look, Trump sort of was the Tony Robbins of the political sphere. Yeah, serious emotions were moved into it. So, yeah, man, I mean, it's just a definite, it's kind of just comes down to that basic principle of like uh, nothing actually is rational. Nothing. Nothing at all. Everything is just based off an emotion, which is what obviously these brands have really recognized. In fact, you can see it in ads from the 50s and it'll just be like, Gold Tar Cigarettes, uh, the uh, branded by doctors, is the safest of all the cigarettes. It's just best just filter is second to none. It'll be an entire page of information just at the train stop. But now, if there was just, in fact, now, I remember I once did a casting for a cigarette ad in Greece. And the shot was just <laughs> me in a suit sitting on a convertible with like a a a pack of cigarettes just slightly in the back and that was it that was that was the whole ad and then it just had the brand name at the bottom so there's nothing there there's nothing there except for a mood that they're trying to sell and that's it mood that's exact it's a mood board all ads now are mood boards mood boards you see yeah they're just live action pinterest pages Mm. you see that ad for peroni it's just these two gorgeous italian models Running around Santorini, Santorini, I think. I don't know. That might be Greece. So one of those exotic European locations that, like, you know, 20-year-old girls are always taking a photo at. And pristine yacht. Both beautiful wearing designer clothes. Making eye contact with each other. Having that moment of sexual chemistry. And then, boom, Peroni. And that's it. What the fuck does that have to do with the beer cunt? Like, what's <laughs> going no, Nothing. Nothing. But that's what it makes you. It again. This isn't something. I'm not. We're not saying anything really profound here. It's just interesting to constantly. No, but it's kind of interesting because it's it's just like now I'm trying to think like what your. I just think the implications are very extreme when you when you you know you you think about all right. mm, I I need to speak the facts and and be rational and convince someone about a certain thing. But even then, people have an, people associate someone who speaks rationally and speaks the fact with the emotion or with at least the feeling of trust. And you immediately gain trust for someone who says, all right, I'm going to try to uh, look at both sides equally and I'm going to just articulate the uh, objective facts of the situation. Immediately, I'm like, I trust you. And it's a feeling, ultimately. Yeah, or fairness. Yeah. Yeah, but There's I'm not- There's different associations to it. Someone could just say those things and then manipulate someone like me who who uh, admires those particular values and I wouldn't even be aware of it. I would sort of think, oh, I'm thinking rationally. This is someone who's speaking rationally, just speaking the facts. No, I I have this intrinsic trust to someone who proclaims to do that and says those things. It's feelings you know, before facts. Like, absolutely. As I said before about political candidates, it's mostly just the vibe that they give off, which is actually really interesting when it comes to this next election because uh, Scott Morrison's trustworthiness is down the toilet, which I think is always a really good sign that they're going to lose. Like, I can't imagine 
a candidate winning that no one trusts. Yep, but what would be the trustworthiness of not just Albo but Labor as a brand? Well, that's the whole thing. If you put it on Albo, everyone likes everyone him. Everyone likes him and it's trustworthiness there. Put it on uh, Labor, put it on and, Labor and it's like- just, you know, 100 years <gasps> of putting shit on him. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> lefties. But it's actually really interesting because on an individual level, there's been a survey that came out recently. The least trusted politicians in the country were Scott Morrison, Barnaby Joyce, Craig Kelly. The most trusted were Anthony Albanese, Tanya Plibersek and Penny Wong. Yeah, but can so you on trust a personal polls? level. Uh, all the polls in America said all sorts of things and they consistently get it wrong. But here's the thing, though. With the American polls... If you actually looked at them, they were going in that direction. And it was the same thing with the Australian election. They were going in this direction. Like, the the gap was closing. And it's like, yeah, okay, the polls were off by, like, a couple of points. They weren't off by fucking 10. What are the swing seats in the Australian federal election? Where where are the ones that Labor can can pick up? There's a few in Queensland. There's nothing they can get in Victoria, basically. Nothing. Nothing. That's just stripped bare. But that's because they get such a strong showing there. This one here's a swing seat. This one, Liberals won by three or four percent. Reid. That actually, yeah, yeah, Reid is. Cossack's going to win. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, Reed and then Barton, I think, in where I used to live was always a swing. So it went liberal for the first time in 2010. And then they rezoned the, uh, like, Scott Morrison's seat and then it became a strong Labor seat again. So I don't know why they did that. That seems weird that the Liberals did that because they actually could have won two seats there, but who knows. Uh, and then there's a there's like that one in Tasmania. I remember how they were counting. There was that Asian candidate. It, it took it, it took a few days before she was confirmed. So well, Gladys Liu, I think, wasn't that a very close swing seat? Yes, yes, that's one of the movable ones in Victoria. We're talking about I think three across that state that are even contendable, but everything else is just set in stone. Uh, Western Australia is actually where Labor's putting most of its hopes and obviously the Liberals just want to maintain all of Queensland like they did in the last election and probably will actually. Mm. But I think that the movement will probably be in New South Wales and Western Australia. And in Sydney specifically or uh, where are we looking? Because Yeah, but there's also a few seats uh, that could be taken off of the Nationals, not by Labor, but by uh, independent candidates. Yeah, okay. Um. It's going to be a hung parliament. Well, they fucking always are these days. Yeah. But the thing is, I just can't see on the on election day it coming across with these kinds of numbers, especially when in the last election, same thing. Bill Shorten was the untrustworthy one. No one yeah. knew who the fuck Scott Morrison was. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they, he just gave off the image of just being a dag. A lot of it was an anti-Bill Shorten vote, whereas you're not going to get an anti-Albanese vote because no one- no. no one really dislikes the guy. No, all they're going for is he's nice, but he's inexperienced, which means you're in a really good position if that's what their argument is. They don't really have any good arguments, do they? No, they've got nothing left. Nothing is sticking, which is incredible. Usually they go for the old uh, China unions. That's They've tried all of that. Mm. It's not working. Not working. Those things are actually in the favour of- the Labor Party, everything that they've tried against the Labor Party isn't sticking. They've actually exhausted all of their options. So, I really don't know what they're even going to fucking try. I think now they're just going for the whole, all right, let's just try and bribe them uh, with the budget. Yeah, so a few, there's a few little incentives everyone's getting now. But uh, 
Yeah, I wonder if we did that podcast we did three years ago where the swing demographics were 25 to 34-year-olds swung liberal when they're usually a Labor stronghold and then there were Chinese Australians that swung to liberal and there was one more group but I've forgotten. And I think Muslim Australians... I read somewhere as starting to go, they would have usually been Labor voters, but, well, they're just, you know, their religion plays a huge role in who they vote for and a lot of, oh, that's what you get with a lot of non-white voters. Be like, Labor is gay, full of gays. Yeah. <laughs> you can't argue yes. against that. <laughs> They've made up their mind. Man, that's so true. That is the only issue that immigrants care about, isn't it? How many homosexuals are there in the parties? But if they knew how the many ho- closet homosexuals there are in the Liberal yeah. Party, they'd be horrified. <laughs> yeah, the Liberals might. Well, they'll probably try it. I'm surprised they haven't made it into a culture war battle yet. If anything, I'm surprised they're going the other way. They're constantly talking about like, wait, no, we, we're doing all these policies for women. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, which I'm is- just like, well, okay, they're trying to win over. A, okay, they're trying to win over like that upper class white woman mm. that is probably, I'm guessing, is swinging away from them. Well, that's the thing. They're really worried about their Wentworth seats and their manly seats. Yeah, and that is okay. nothing that's but their, upper class white women. That's, that's their <laughs> bread and butter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, they're terrified of them because yeah. they think that they are permanently going to be lost to independence. Um, so I think that that is why they're constantly pushing that. Yeah, because mm, mm, you'll have more Zali Stegel types. Well, it's kind of weird because what does the Liberal Party represent under Scott Morrison? It became so know. vacuous that it's. I don't know either now because at least in in twenty nineteen and sixteen it was like, hey, we're not super woke. We uh, balance budgets. We're fiscally conservative. It's and like, also, right, and at, also at we you, want your house to go up in value. Yeah. And, like, that's a message that a lot of Australians, that would resonate with a lot of Australians. What? I have no idea. It's, like, kind of going on that internet thing. Like, oh, people are mean on the internet. And we got a police that is like, what? You're uh, running on I'm that? sorry, but did you not? Are you just completely contradicting what you said three years ago? And are people who are actually, there are people who are very... Uh, Skeptical of of uh, of laws and government initiatives that claim to be for your safety, but are actually just policing your speech, and that was the argument all along against things like the um, you know the anti some anti discrimination laws and eighteen C and whatever it may be, and they've just completely backflipped on that. Mm. Mm. So like, well, it's de- that it's was deplorable, really. I mean, like at least have a if you're going to be. It'd be good if there were two parties that you know one represented business interests or like a more free market economy and actually stood for those values, and that means you know sort of small L liberal as well, where people are sort of free to do free to pursue businesses without uh, pursue business without too much red tape. Sure, there's a lower tax burden. Maybe certain things are privatized, but at least stick to that. And then the Labor Party represents uh, workers and, and, and unions and they're more in favour of, uh, you know, p- putting certain regulations on those sorts of businesses. And at least then you can have a legitimate ideological discussion there. But now I, I have no idea what the Liberals stand for at all. 
You know what I think is a big thing, a, a big uh, flag for that is that my lawyer, who obviously hangs around like a bunch of millionaires and billionaires, mm-hmm. he was just saying that that is the the Liberal Party just doesn't represent them anymore. They're kind of like abhorred by it. So if the business community doesn't support the Liberal Party, like they're done. They're done. That is their union. Mm, but a the lot business of, community is their union. But uh, are, the, are the business community going to vote for Labor, or it, are they? And then, and then also, don't underestimate like that. There's a lot of people who are still very worried about, yeah, like you know, political correctness and and all these sorts of things. That but don't you think that Albo's completely neutralised that? He just doesn't come off as. A cuck. Yeah, I agree. But has the damage been done to just the Labor brand? That's uh, that's the question. And also this whole again, the I think yes. UAP thing is a big. It's a big red herring. That you, who knows what they're going to do? Are they going to siphon more votes from Liberals or Labor? There's two who people the that are voting knows? for it. Actually, I was listening to a pollster talk about this, and they were saying that. Really, the UAP is sucking up two votes. First off is exactly what you identified, actually, when you said who you're going to vote for, and it was all these young males saying UAP. The reason they're voting for UAP is because they know absolutely nothing about politics, nothing. Uh, and so they've just fallen into their both shit categories, and these guys keep vaguely talking about how bullshit the lockdowns were or whatever, so I'm going to vote for them. So you can peel them off and you can tell them this is a siphoning act. You are vo- This is... You're being duped. They, they are the Liberal Party. You're just voting for the Liberal Party via preferences. And then the other people are those that have run out of excuses for voting for the Liberal Party but want to vote for the Liberal Party. But they just can't convince themselves to because the Liberal Party have not, as you said, given them a single reason to vote for them. And that's who's going to be voting for the UAP. I don't know what the exact percentage breakdown of that is, but you can convince the young men that are just kind of like low information, yeah, fuck them all. You can get them out. The thing is, if yeah, if you're the liberals- Yeah, fuck them all, mate. <laughs> Got to send a message. Such an oz- yeah, send a message. But the message is, uh, it's just going to preference- yeah, yeah, the message is not- we're going to keep the government that we hate in power. Yeah, you really told them. <laughs> but if you shame them, if you make them feel, because in their minds, they've done their research, they're informed everyone else is a sheep. So if you make them feel inferior and and they associate, because there the, the is, you know, you can people who are well-informed when it comes to politics can, because they're so well-informed, they can get frustrated at the average person who isn't well-informed and has very confident opinions about things that they know to be factually incorrect or to be very dull and, and idiotic. But then the the reverse of that is there can be a, a perceived sentiment of elitism and sanctimony, and that's something they're always talking about. That's what they associate with, say, the project, like, oh, just the elitist constant looking down on other people shaming them, making them feel bad for their choices when in their mind they've they've meticulously thought about who they're going to vote for and, and, and come to a very logical conclusion. So if if the strategy is, oh, look, you're stupid for voting for this party, that's going to embolden them more. Absolutely. That is definitely true. That is definitely true. 
Um, but yeah, as I said before, there is a constituency of the UAP that you just aren't going to convince. So you can be as smug as you want to them. It's not going to make a difference. But that other strip, you should be doing that. Now that you mentioned that as well about the project, let's just quickly go through that. How does the Today Show make you feel? Uh, the Today Show... Uh, How does this sound? Hmm. Loose and lame. I don't think it's... No, I don't feel lame. Not lame? It's 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 egregiously lighthearted to the point that I can't... That I get frustrated by it. Like, it's so... What are we going to talk about today? And I'm just... Wakey, wakey. Yeah, it's just... It's just, <laughs> it's just annoyingly... Uh, annoyingly jovial... It, so I get it. I get frustration actually. The Today Show, an eye roll. That's what it gives me. It's just like, oh, all right, Carl's going to banter with Allison again. Cool, that's fun. Whereas the project, I get actually. There's more depending on the segment they're doing because I think some of the they've just become this beacon of like hatred for Australia. Which, Fuck Australia. And I know a lot of them it. personally. They're not bad. People, but like, yeah, the show itself, the chemistry is, of it is terrible. It's infuriating. Yeah. yeah, because because at the time it started, right in 2010 or whenever it was, it was a it was a great uh, point of difference to other very serious, uh, authoritative news shows. And it was news done differently. It's a bit of banter with the news. It's a, it was actually quite entertaining. But over time. As life became more politicised and everything became a culture war issue, it then lost all its authority because now it just comes across as, as like with some of the comedy I was talking about before, it's tonally inconsistent. You can't have Walid Ali do a very serious diatribe about politics and then suddenly cut to Peter Hellier making a, a really a, 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 just a, a boorish dad joke about Oh, this politician lost their seat. And then there's footage of them falling off a chair after. Then I've just lost it. I can't take Waleed's monologue seriously then. Mm. Like, which, choose the tone. That's my and big also, frustration like the, the, to it. The, the monologue is always like something really sanctimonious and obviously sappy. Don't yeah, because like he's always talking about is- some big school shooting or something like that. It's it's always some like glitz in the paper that you know is going to get a lot of attention for a couple of days, and then he's just piggybacking off of that. And you're always just like, this is just sap. He should at just its core. He should just have his own show on the ABC or something. He's well, that's what he's moving more- for. Well, yeah, he's he- moving to become the host of the Seven Thirty Report. Well, he'd be and he'd- fuck. He wouldn't he be great? At he'd that? be gr- good at that. That's his tone. That suits him. And then yeah, condescending. And Peter and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter and um, you know, all the comedians on there should just do the Today Show or one of those shows. But well, the it was show the sh- itself the feeling, doesn't work. The feeling, as you were pointing out, when it was kind of, I think, completely directed by Rove, he got the tone right. Because it was pretty much just Rove live five days a week with a smaller budget and less time to think about it. And that was a really mm. good tone for Australia. And it was a different time period. I mean, you, you, you even just go back to 2012, which is, I, I think, it's been around for a while. It might have been even around long before that, but I'm-, I'm Fairly certain it was around then. Uh, and cut forward 10 years, 
the world has changed. It's not an appropriate show for the world right now. You don't think? No. I think it's not an appropriate- Okay. It's not appropriate for the projection of the world that America wants. But I think it's still appropriate for Australia. I think the average Australian wants that. Like, dude, I think back at Rove and I think, why the fuck did that stop? Oh, that. Yeah, look, I, uh, something like that would be great. I just can't see how it's going to be done in this day and age. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it should- The audience is there. They just yes. don't think it's there. Yes. The li- the, 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 just <clears throat> the fun, uh, fun comedy that isn't bound by- some sort of social initiative, nor is it bound by, like, trying to, like, offend people either. It's just good comedy for the av- everyday person. Dude, that isn't going to make them feel Melbourne 90s comedy. That yeah. was fine. That's a, there's a, I'm sure there's a huge hunger for that, and they've try, I think they're trying to do that with shows like The 100 and things. But what people don't understand is the sort of the hierarchy now for finding the next crop of comedians in Australia for the last 10 years has been... So corrupted, so ideologically corrupted that you, you, the, the caliber of comedian is actually not good enough to to fill that one hour slot of entertainment, and it's really a con- it's a condemnation on the comedians because they have a team of writers telling them how to respond to certain things on those shows. They're not just coming up with that. What on? Have you been paying attention or something? Yeah, all of those. They have writers on there. I'm sure they they may come up with some of those jokes, but they're given everything in advance. It's not on the spot. I mean, everyone thinks, yeah, that's the illusion. But the fact that it's when you find out it's not on the spot, you're like, Ugh, really? This is the best they could come up with. Because like with a lot of the what, sort so of like with a lot scripts. of the artistic and. Uh, the, the higher institutions, cultural institutions in particular, the people who now inhabit these institutions of influence and power have lived a very coddled life and they're so far removed from the average Australian. They think they're not because they live in a share house so they think they're part of the working class. But their mentality is so far removed from the the average battler. Well, I'll tell you what. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Yeah, go on. It was miles apart. We were, I was just having a discussion with Ali. But you know how everybody in Australia hates Waleed Ali and he's always saying, it's because I'm African. And I was thinking, nah, because I'll tell you who's one of the most beloved comedians in Australia. It would be this three holy trinity, the three wise men, Carl Barron, Jamoan, Akmal. Those would be the guys that can sell out every country town in Australia in an 800-seat theatre, right? Akmal, I think, is from the same country as Waleed Ali. The difference is Waleed Ali went to one of the most elite private schools in Melbourne and Akmal grew up in fucking Punchbowl. So he understands the average Aussie. He understands how they think and what they want to yeah. talk about. There's an element and even of that. Just, I, as you're saying, okay. the emotion, the yeah. emotion that Waleed Ali comes up on every week is just being like, hmm. that emotion doesn't exist beyond it, the bridge in Sydney. And it doesn't, It I think it resonates with a certain ilk of Channel 10 viewer that likes to think of themselves as 
intelligent when I think, to be fair to an ABC audience, they're probably like the, the intellectual people of the, who were in their 50s and he would be so much better suited for that. I don't think he's a... I don't have the disdain for him that a lot of people seem to. Like, like I can see why people think that way about him and some of his takes are quite... They're a bit cringeworthy, but I think he is a very well-read and intelligent man and he he would be perfect on the ABC. I think I don't think he suits commercial TV. No, but here's the other thing: it, why is he still on it? Because he just wants the check. Well, that I don't. So know. I think he really hates his life. He, he feels like it. That's the other thing I think. When everybody, right. <laughs> everyone I see on the project, there's two emotions that come across for me. Anyway, it seems to be fear. Seems to be a lot of fear that they're constantly going to lose their job because they're always under contract negotiations. And the other one is sort of disdain for what they're doing. No one seems to truly be enjoying being on the project. And again, back in the days of when it was kind of just hosted by Husey or whatever, I feel like it was. I feel like it was like what we were talking about before. It had that feeling of those 90s talk shows, which I think- has been permanently eroded and you can't bring it back. Because I was thinking about this the other day. You can't bring it back, If yeah. we were offered the same position of just like, you know, if, if theoretically it'll never it fucking happen in a million years, but they're just like, YouTube takes over and does a bunch of those bullshit quiz shows on Channel 10. I don't think that we'd have the tools no. to do that show. We're certainly not conversant in that style. It's gone. Mm, mm. It's been completely I mean, gotten rid of, and which is a shame, and I think it's a really bad thing because you can see that Have You Been Paying Attention does very well, yeah. but it's kind of like after Gen X, there's just a cliff. It just goes off. They've got no one after that. Yeah. I'm, well, some of the stuff I've been doing on TikTok, I'm trying to emulate a little bit of that. But, it's, but this is the but whole thing. But it's not the same. You're one, not the same because you're one element- of that show. Sure. As you were saying before, right? Like, they have producers, they have writers, there's a director, uh, there's cameramen that are involved in this. They're all adding to that. Yeah, and there's a- Sound engineers. And there's a culture that's so pervasive in the arts in Australia that just c- c- is not conducive to that style of whatever you want to call it, 90s laid-back Australian comedy. Say again. There's a culture among- all the people involved in that process, not just the comedians, not just the hosts there, mm. the writers, the producers, mm-hmm. everyone there, that, in my opinion, is just not conducive to that style of laid-back comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So, they've not only not fostered it for the future, but they've deliberately tried to eradicate it. And I think that that has actually caused a lot of resentment, the fact that media just doesn't really reflect Australia. Sunrise, uh, the Today Show. I'm telling you, man, I went back and watched Koshy and Mill, for instance. It was a much more Aussie show than Koshy and Samantha Armitage. (laughs) Really? That's so... Sam's not uh, up to scratch for you Absolutely. on the you know Aussie meter. She, dude, because she is from a really wealthy farm aris- aristocracy family. Do you think that's what it always comes down to for you? It's just how you, how wealthy someone was 
when they grew up and, and they're just their inability to or they're just much there's a there's a lesser likelihood for them to connect with uh mainstream australia mainstream australia yeah yes i think you can make a lot of money and connect with mainstream Australia, but it has to be in certain professions. It can't be my great great grandparents owned fucking half of Armadale. You know, it has to be. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I live in Greystains in a huge McMansion. Then you're going to be able to relate because you still would have been in the same area. You'd understand how they interact. These people just don't understand how the average Australian thinks. Mm. They don't look at them. They're just so removed from them. I just can't think of any Australian show that gives off a vibe that Australians really want. And so, I think that that's actually like part of the fact that like in Australia, there's just this sort of- There is a big emotional resentment because there's something kind of just there just being like, you're not- reflecting back to us who we are you're trying to tell us who we are yeah and you're trying to criticize everything about us yep which you can have some constructive criticism in any form of art but if it's all criticism people turn off and this is the other thing as well not even that it's all criticism it's kind of just like it's the wrong criticism it's like it's just like someone just saying you know like Neil, your problem is you really want to be a woman. And you're like, I, I don't want to be a woman at all. So, it's like, yes, you want to be a woman. That's your problem. And you're just like, I don't want to fucking be a woman. Like, it's it's a bit worse when they're criticizing you on things that you're just fucking not. Sure. I think that if someone gets you well at your core and then pays you out about it, there's always an acknowledgement of like, yeah, you got me. Like, that's that runs deep, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. But there's a whole thing. There's just no understanding to begin with. Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's the emotion that I get when I feel like when I'm just watching any of those television shows, it's kind of just like you don't understand who your audience is and you don't want to know who their your audience is. You're just talking down the whole time. Either that or you're basically just an infomercial salesman like I suppose Larry Emder is. I like, I like Larry Emder, but it just feels like- like, really, what is the difference between his show and Daniel's Direct? Not much. Mm. He talks about the Queen a little bit more. But it's kind of weird. Like, what, what emotions, what emotions, say, would we be giving off then? Uh, depends. Do, I think you, know you give off. Mm. Um. I think ultimately it's it's a sort of excitement. It's a it's a it's a really lame modern day version of like a warrior spirit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I feel like I'm fighting against those fucking elites by watching this. <laughs> Validation. Maybe that's what because you, people who feel like they're so far removed from everything else that they're b- being fed by the media and they get a taste of, say, you or, or one of our ilk and 
They feel fine. Oh, look, someone who actually speaks to me, someone who gets me. But I don't know. I don't know. To a small group. To a small group because it's kind of just reflecting. Mm. I'll tell you what, because every every photo that is ever taken of me and is used in an article, it's always me just about to do this. I'm always in this and we're like, yeah, they do. And I think that find two, your my girlfriend worst. summed it up. They're always just saying like, it's like you're halfway through saying like, you suck. So actually, I think that that is the thing. They're just the tapping into something. Yes. <laughs> They're tapping into somebody who's just pointing out how shit all the people are on television and why they don't watch them. Mm. They obviously hate that. And I think the average person, as you say, is just like, yes, finally, someone's saying it. I think that's what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, uh, do, do you find your de- that your demo is changing much, particularly in the last two years? Have you had this media coverage, even though you've been perceived as the villain? But because there is that large bastion of Australians that are, ha- have nothing but animosity towards the mainstream or legacy or old media. Do you find some older people now coming to your shows and yeah, absolutely enjoying your content? And mostly, when someone walks up to me now, yeah, it'll be like some dude in his forties or fifties. Really, a lot of it is because I think that's it. It's just I got mainstream media coverage in the last year, so those people tapped onto it and thought, "Fuck, I've been thinking this for thirty years." So, I've got that demo now. But in- Mad. In lieu of that, and it's because I stopped doing skits, I will do it after the election. I've lost basically every female. Now, it's just either old men or young men. <laughs> That's my audience now. <laughs> and I think it was just yeah, like stopping you- the commentary of The Bachelorette, <laughs> stopping just the like, you can relate content. Yeah, but- you And I will get- bring that back. Yeah, but then you'll lose the, the men- it's a seesaw. You can't. I think that keep the men everyone. are cool with it. I think the men are cool with that content. It's just that I think women aren't cool with the endless fucking nastiness. You know? Yeah. Because, like, how much Probably. of your audience is female? Forty? Uh it's. It depends on the platform, but it's yeah, it's sort of thirty to forty percent. Thirty to forty percent. Yeah. It's very low on YouTube for whatever reason. It's just a YouTube thing. But what is it on YouTube? Uh, last time I checked, it was about 20, I think. Mm. Facebook, I think, was about 35, 40. Instagram's about 35, 40. TikTok, it's about 50, 50. Although it started sort of 65 female, which I was shocked by. And then, uh, and very American. <coughs> I'll tell you what, dude. So, you, you know what? It's actually exactly what uh, is a joke in South Park. But I think that this is a real way to attract females because I went to Christian Hull's audience and obviously it's just filled with nothing but cougars, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you would imagine. <laughs> yeah, him and like, uh, who else? Like M. Rusciano. Oh, it's fuck like yeah. Cougar Central. Yeah. <laughs> Cougars, I'd imagine M. Rusciano probably has a lot of sad gays in the audience as well. 
Christian Hull doesn't, which is so shocking to me. Uh-huh. His audience is purely heterosexual female. Interesting. Interesting. And a lot of mums and daughters coming in just being like, yeah, we, we bear bond over your um, incessant talking of cocks. And I think that that's what it is. I think that that is what women are into. It's even when I'm speaking to my booking manager, anytime I mention cocks, they just fucking lose it. Women think penis. And they're right. Like, they, it is so fucking funny. But they really like mentionings of cocks. Don't you reckon? And I think the, the theme- <laughs> I don't the, know, man. I can't say I can relate to that. What? I haven't seen a correlation between me mentioning cocks and- uh, Get more girls to the, but have you the seen, audience. Not, not more girls. <laughs> <laughs> but have you seen it? Because it was the same thing at Christian Hulls. I was just sitting there the whole time and every time he mentioned something about just these kind of things of like, you know when you're sucking a cock and it hits the back of your throat and you're just like, wow. Like, I wasn't expecting that. Like, the audience just goes nuts. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but the, the, look- women really love like the sassy gay guy archetype thing is christian hull isn't the sassy gay okay what is sort he? of gay is he i mean i, I haven't actually seen Dude, a lot he of is a self-deprecating together. gay that's what he, he is okay. constantly he has no target other than himself yeah, okay. Well, that's very endearing for a lot of people. Which actually would make sense why he's got a lot of older women because he's sort of like this gay son they never had. There's always a flamboyance often with a lot of the- with a lot of- well, with anyone in entertainment, but uh, particularly for uh, gay men in entertainment, hmm? there's a- there's a- there's a- there's an exuberance that comes with it that I think- it's an exuberance without being aggressive and it's probably not seen as a threat because if I, you know, if he's talking about when you get a cock rammed up in the back of your neck or whatever, but if I'm like, you know, when you're fucking a girl and this happens, I'd imagine, well, it depends on how you say it. It can always be funny for everyone, but that sort of content I'd imagine for a lot of women would come across as, say, you know, locker room talk. Yes. Or, or sort of, yeah, ca- casual sexism or whatever. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's inherently more threatening. In fact, this is the whole thing. I've always noticed this as well. I don't think sex jokes really work very well from heterosexual men. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm just, no, it's not even that. It's just like, it just, yeah, when it's coming out from a heterosexual man, a straight up sex joke is just a bit kind of chat to me anyway. Again, it doesn't give off the right vibe. You know what does give off Mm. the right vibe when heterosexual men say it? Dude, really slack humour. I've always just been like, that's mad. Whenever they're talking about like a death fantasy or someone dying or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm always just like, Interesting. that's fucking hilarious. It works with them. Well, I read somewhere that uh, people who have a masculine look about them or, or are sort of perceived as masculine. 
people resonate with them more when they actually say masculine ideals and say masculine things and vice versa. And and the and the inverse of that is if you're someone with a masculine look and you start speaking in what would be a stereotypically feminine way, I'm not just talking about in your mannerisms. If you if you say look like a a a, 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 a bouncer from a dodgy nightclub and you start talking about uh, how we should be inclusive and 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 see the and and admire kindness and caring and these sorts of things people don't trust you whereas if you're a woman who says those things people inherently trust you more mm. and similarly if you're a woman who says very masculine things sort of have has a masculine sentiment you're deemed untrustworthy mm. so that actually does sort of validate the the the, the feminist conception that women are sort of look down upon for having masculine traits. But it's very confusing now because as far as I can tell, simply behaving in a masculine way actually defines your gender. It means you are a man, yet it's also championed when women are like bosses and don't take shit and clap back and all of these things, which then doesn't that mean they're a man then by the current logic? Yeah, because well, but let's be honest. It's, it's the type of woman. The type of woman that is into that is the one that is masculine. Like, there's a lot of women in the world that I think don't give a shit about quote unquote girl bosses. The ones that care about girl bosses are the ones that are in the corporate world. I, you know what? I'm gonna strongly disagree with that one. Yeah. So you I think, think that a, a woman no, that wants I to think be it's a projection? Mom, I think it's. <clears throat> I think people who are inherently confident don't need to constantly talk about how they're either a, a boss or it's a similar with like a man who's constantly talking about he's rich, he's successful, constantly trying to prove themselves. There's an insecurity that comes with that. I have a suspicion that the women who are constantly talking about how they're a boss and they're whatever they are, a girl boss and an entrepreneur, there's, a, there's something deeper going on there. Because someone who's just a boss wouldn't need to constantly harp on about it. They'd be comfortable in their position of authority. You know, Margaret Thatcher, say what you want about her ideology. She didn't sit, go around being like, I'm a boss. I'm a bad bitch. Mm. Well, of course, it wouldn't have been appropriate in the time, at the time. But, no, but they're, they're but insecure. There isn't this, yeah, but the, I, if anything, it, I feel like it's sort of flipped where it's – it's also what Camille Paglia talks about a lot. There's this sort of ilk of like bourgeois, often white women who are, who are actually quite sort of conflict-averse and high neuroticism that are constantly having to tell themselves, I'm a boss, I'm a bad bitch, to, to almost mitigate against those sort of natural inclinations of femininity. Whereas like you meet a working-class woman, she's not constantly having to talk about how she's a boss and a bad bitch. She's just like she'll swear at you if you piss her off and mm. tell you to fuck off. Mm. But it's also, it, it doesn't, I feel like an upper class woman will say something like you're sexist and you're a pig and then go off and cry. Yeah, but you know, but that's the whole thing. The working class woman is not aiming for a job at Allen and Allen's, you know? Sure. They're looking for a job at Allen's the pub. Yeah. They're not so. So they are not 
They're not. I almost can guarantee that if you look at the pages that they like, it won't be like inspirational women, girl bosses, uh, strong women, the podcast. It's not going to be any of that shit. It will be sites. It'll be meme pages like chicks out, uh, dicks out for the chicks and yeah, things. It'll be that stuff kind like of that. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls advice page and all that. Girls advice <laughs> page. A lot of sex. Those girls advice pages. They are fucked. What's on it? Oh, just some of the things that people ask for advice. Just go and Google it. A lot of Dolly magazine. Oh, I have sex with my brother sometimes. Should I stop? <laughs> there's that some of that and then there's just a lot of just bizarre things that their boyfriend has done and then they're like, do I stay with him? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Why is it when it's like a guy who's who's either too nice? This is going to sound like me being a resentful incel, but I think it's an astute observation. When it, when a guy's either just like too nice or too needy, it's just so easy for a girl to break up with him. But when a guy's like actually manipulative and borderline abusive, it's actually so hard for the girl to break up with him. He's got her hooked. Well, two things. He's two got things. Her feeding on the emotion, actually. Yes. If anything, yeah. Well, I think that's the whole thing. It's just like no one else is going to make them feel like that. And I think the other thing is if you are in an re- abusive relationship, you are probably damaged goods yourself. Probably Look into it. A lot of people don't talk about that side of it, but I, I, I'm the older I get and the more I learn about the nuances of certain toxic relationships, I'm not saying it there's an equal contribution of toxicity from either party, but there is often a symbiotic relationship yeah, at play. to some degree, yeah. Has to be. Well, yeah, I think it's the same thing as if you're in a rarely. functional relationship. Yeah, both parties, both are, parties are contributing. Both parties are functional, healthy human beings. Yeah. And but often the sorts of people that are attracted to each other in those relationships Look, you have to tiptoe around a subject like this because it can so easily be misconstrued as victim blaming and by no means am I doing that. But there's often a lack of self-reflection that can occur for certain people who tend to fall into similar patterns of unhealthy relationships. But don't you think even on that core of what we're talking about here that if you are attracted to a certain type of content, it is because your experiences in life and the emotion that you like are close enough to that content. You're sort of in a relationship with that channel. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's just the same as everything else in your life, surely. It's just like you are attracted to a certain vibe that is getting given off. And it's kind of the same as like, for instance, if there was, and in fact, that's happened to me in the past, right? If there is a woman that is just your your run-of-the-mill psycho, right? Uh, constantly yelling, changes emotion at the drop of a hat, you know, tries to manipulate you into feeling bad for them and that kind of stuff. Like, instantly I'm out. Instantly. But I know guys that are in relationships with those women. Well, it's sad, they're, they're, isn't it? It's sad, but like... 
they're in that relationship. Yeah, there are underlying there's like factors. A, there's that- an emotion there that they're kind of attracted to, I suppose. Yeah, they like I the mean, ups look, and downs be, of it. In those sorts of things, you can look into whether you know your attachment style, anxious, avoidant, all those sorts of things often can be reflected in how you perceive yourself. Uh, you, what the main sort of components of of your relationship with your opposite sex caregiver and the early stages of your life was like. There's a lot of factors that can contribute to something like that, but. I am liking this thought, though, of what are the emotions that you like in your life? I think that you can probably map out where you're going to be moving and what's the content that's going to appeal to you. Yeah, if you can just, like, map maybe the five emotions in life. Like, just think about the things that you're attracted to and what emotion is behind that. I reckon you could predict a lot of your life. Yeah. You're not wrong. Well, I think that's a good point to end this two-part podcast. Yep, done. Went all over the place there. <clears throat> talked about all Get sorts your erectile of erectile dysfunction pills. And we'll see you next time with a nice stiff cock. Come and see us live. <laughs> NeilDan.com if you want to see me live. FriendlyGeordies.com want to see him live. Send in some questions. And, and, and if you've now been subscribed for over a year, you can send in a second question. Email me. Uh, you can send in a second topic if you're still subscribed. NeilKohatka.com slash podcasts. Thanks, guys. See ya.